Mrs. Price and Sam Price will be your leaders this morning. If your kids would like to stay here with us in the service, they are more than welcome to. Provide this as a help to those uh, kids and families as needed. This morning we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 through 29. The uh, text will be on your screens, but if you also have a Bible or one of the Bibles in the chairs, please feel free to turn there. Before we come to our text this morning, I want to ask this question both for kids and adults. Have you ever wanted something really, 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 really bad? And you wanted it so bad that you thought about it way, way too much. Like, you know, most of your day is being spent like dreaming about it or thinking about it or hoping that you might get it. Maybe it's a toy that you wanted or a video game or a new bike. Maybe a cool pair of shoes or clothes. Maybe it's a new job or a new house or a new car. In wanting those things, have you ever made plans, sometimes even kind of crazy plans, like, you know, if you're a kid, like, I'll promise my parents that I'll do all the yard work, all the house cleaning, all the dishes, pick up the dog poop in the yard, wash the car, give my mom a manicure. You'll go on and on and on and on. All these things that you probably don't have time to do, but you say, I'll do all these things in order to get what I've wanted really, really bad. Or maybe when you've been a bit older on your own, you've decided that if you stopped eating for a week, you could buy that cool pair of shoes that you can't afford otherwise. Or maybe it's got even crazier, maybe the thought of stealing or trying to make an unfair trade with a friend has crossed your mind. Maybe you've even done it. There are times in our lives that when we want something, we will sometimes do whatever it takes to get it. Unfortunately, we see these desires even leading to theft, oppression, and even murder. And we see this in our text today. King Ahab wants something really, really, really badly. He wants a vineyard. He wants it so badly that he will allow Jezebel, his wife, the queen, to do whatever it takes to get it. But what are the other things that we might desire that maybe aren't objects, but might bring wealth, power, and influence? What are we willing to give up for that? And is what we're willing to give up any less evil than theft, oppression, and even murder. Let's read 1 Kings 21, uh, 1 through 29. 1 Kings 21, 1 through 29. Now Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it. 
Or Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed, turned away his face, and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. But Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders and the leaders who lived in this city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick up your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut you off from Ahab, cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahaji. For the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And Jezebel the Lord and, Jez, and of Jezebel the Lord said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat, and anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, 
whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you have given us your word in the flesh, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us today and every day. Lord, may we be not only conformed to your word, but transformed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue our series on the life of Elijah, titled, The Lord is My God. And last week, we were in chapter 19, verses 9 through 20, where Elijah headed to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, or Mount Sinai is another name uh, more commonly known for it. And he gets there, and God asks him a question. What are you doing here, is the question God asks him. And in that question, we were confronted with the questions, where do we expect to find God, and where would we expect to hear God? And we saw that we find and hear God through his word. We saw that the word of the Lord is our comfort and our strength. And in that comfort and strength, Elijah went from Horeb and did as the Lord instructed him. He anointed Hazael to be king over Syria, anointed Jehu, the son of Nishmi, to be king over Israel, and anointed Elisha as a prophet to take his place. And our text this morning picks up sometime after these events that we looked at last week. Ahab has defeated Syria twice in battle, and our text is likely following these battles when Israel is experiencing a time of peace, and the king has some time on his hands, so to speak, to covet what is not his. That might sound familiar for those of you who know the Old Testament. King David also, at a time where he wasn't out at battle, coveted something as well that led to David's great sins of adultery and murder when he coveted the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. And this morning, I'd like to walk through this text, pointing out a few things along the way that I hope will give us insight, and then look at some questions of the text and of our own hearts and what we might find in both places. So the text begins finding Ahab presumably looking out from his castle and he sees a beautiful lush vineyard. He wants it, but it belongs to a man named Naboth. And Ahab offers Naboth a fair and even generous exchange for his vineyard. But Naboth turns the king down on the grounds that this is his family's inheritance from the Lord. What we have to understand here is that possession of the land had been a gift of the covenant that God made with his people when the people of Israel went into the promised land. It was distributed to tribes and clans and families. And this ancestral land holdings constituted each family's part of the covenant promises and benefits. This was a very like physical 
reminder, a physical expression of God's covenant promises to his people. And so Nahab, Naboth says, no, I'm not giving up what God has given to me and my family. So Ahab goes home and throws a pity party for himself, right? He, he starts to whine and cry and won't eat any food. And, and he does this because he understands, at least in some part, that being the king of Israel isn't like being a despot king of other nations like Phoenicia, Jezebel's home country, right? It is not the king who ultimately owns the land in Israel. It is Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel that owns the land, and he gave his land to his people as to steward that as a gift. And on the other hand, the Phoenicians would have seen land as kind of royal fiefdoms, right? All the land was on grant from the king, and so the king could at any time he wanted, or the queen at any time she wanted, could take the land for themselves. Likewise, the king of Israel wasn't above the law. Why wasn't the king of Israel above the law like in other nations? Well, in other nations, the king was the one who made the law. But in Israel, there was one above the king who made the law. Yahweh, the God of Israel, made the laws, and the king was not above them. But Jezebel comes along, sees Ahab having his pity party, sees Ahab as a weakling. She tells her husband to act like a king and be a man. This is basically what she says. Then she promises to show him how to act like a king and to be a man. Jezebel now assumes Ahab's role, his authority, even his name, right? He, she takes, signs the letters in his name, takes his seal, his ring, that would have been his kingly seal and uses that in his place. He assumes his role, his authority, and his name. She devises an evil plot against Naboth's life. And she declares a fast. And that might be something, or like, why would she do that? That seems kind of strange to declare a fast. Well, fasts could be declared by the king and generally were proclaimed in the context of some sort of critical petition before God. Something is happening. We're going to have a fast to see if the Lord will be so gracious to us and tell us what is happening, why this bad experience is happening in the life of Israel. So something bad is happening, that's presumed, and the fast was designed to ask God to show them what had been done. And so Naboth, she devised this plan, was going to take the fall, was going to be the one that had done something evil in the sight of the Lord to bring about this bad thing in Israel. And at the right moment, these two worthless men were to accuse Naboth of cursing God, which is blasphemy, which is against God's law, required death, and, bla and cursing the king, which is treason which is also punishable by death. So that people take this innocent man, Naboth, and stone him to death at the word of two witnesses, according to God's law. You need that. Jezebel was not dumb or stupid. And all these things occur while Jezebel co-ops the king's seal. 
Ahab does nothing to check his wife's scheming or even to express displeasure of her deed. Ahab and his queen have now added murder, stealing, and oppression to their already long and serious list of sins and idolatry. But quite unexpectedly, at the end of our text, Ahab humbles himself and repents. He does not posture himself like a king again, but that's this time it's a good thing. This time in penitence, and he does the right thing. He puts on sackcloth and fasts. These were considered some of the basic elements of repentance as well as mourning in ancient Israel. The act of fasting is designed, as I said, a process to leading to God revealing something, but in an individual for purification and humbling oneself before God, as we see in Psalm 69. Sackcloth was made of goat or camel hair and was coarse and uncomfortable, and so is this idea of, of putting upon yourself what is, cor- what is uncomfortable before God that He might see and forgive an act of repentance, a physical act of repentance. And God forgives him and postpones the judgment on his family, which demonstrates God's ultimate heart that Ahab would turn his heart to the Lord. So that's what happens in our text. Some insight, but how do we apply that? How do we apply this text in our lives? What is the Lord helping us or wanting us to see in this text this morning? And the question that's interesting that looks that comes from the text is that we're asked by the text what is for sale in our lives? What is for sale in our lives? How And if we just walk through the text, we'll see this. How do we respond when we don't get what we want? Is our character and countenance for sale like we see in Ahab's life? Do disappointments lead to dejection and lack of character? Do we become schemers like Jezebel, seeking our own desires over the good and well-being of others? Are we willing to sell ourselves for power and influence? Right? Ahab, a king of Israel, knew what the Lord desired and required of the king, and yet he allows Jezebel to use him and his power for gain. Whatever character Ahab had left, which presumably he had some by going to Naboth and offering to pay for the land or offering to give him another vineyard, he sells whatever character he has left. Whatever moral understanding of what it means to be king of Israel, he sells it for his own gain. We see Naboth was unwilling to give up his inheritance for wealth or even a better vineyard maybe, right? This could have been his opportunity to climb the socioeconomic ladder by using this opportunity for his advantage. Maybe he could have even gained an advantage of influence in the king's life, had a seat at the king's table because he had 
allowed Ahab to have this vineyard that, and he might gain a better standing in the eyes of the king. But he's unwilling to give up his inheritance. He's unwilling to give up what is the physical manifestation of God's covenant promises and blessings to him and his family. Are we as followers of Jesus unwilling to give up our inheritance? That which Paul reminds us is ours now in Christ and is stored in heaven for us. All too often... I believe that as Christians, both individually and corporately, we have given up our inheritance to seek wealth, power, influence, and whatever else you might want to add to the list. We've seen this in public and private life, in politics, in policies, in social circles, and society. Right? Naboth could have given up his inheritance for what seemed to be something maybe even better. And yet he sees that nothing is better than living and being in God's promises and blessings. We, as followers of Christ have been given an inheritance. One that was Jesus Christ given to us. The one who all things are given to, he has shared his inheritance with us. Everything that is his is ours and will be ours in Christ. In the new heavens and the new earth, the renewed cosmos that he is creating. And yet often we live like this inheritance is expendable. That the immediate, the temporal, is much more important that we as followers of Jesus should sell a portion of this inheritance for what we might gain in the here and now. This, these texts that we've been looking at through Elijah are not just a reminder of our spiritual need, are not merely just a reminder of who we are as spiritual people, but who we are in the context of the nation that we live in. Right, this whole text and context is about what it means to faithfully live in this particular culture and society, and how do we interpret that and how we live in our 
particular culture and society. How do we, as followers of Christ, understand our role, our calling in this space? There are times I believe that we are more like Ahab and Jezebel than we are like Naboth. Scheming, seeking our desires over what is good for all. And it's very practical for us to think this way in terms of how we understand our public and private life, our politics and our policies, our social circles in society, and how we as Christians engage in those areas. Politics aren't bad. Policies aren't bad. Society isn't bad for us to engage in and to seek the best for it. But how do we do it? And with what means do we see as the means that God has appointed for that? In God's providence, I had really hadn't even thought of this, but it's, this text comes to us just days before we as a nation have many, many opportunities to elect folks to office. And as I said, it is right and good for us as Christians, as citizens of this country or any country to engage in politics and setting policies and seeking the good of society. But brothers and sisters, it matters how we do that. It matters that we seek to do all those things with great character, with great love of Christ, with great love for the promises and blessings that God in Christ has given us. And we must seek each in our own setting, in our own culture, in our own place, the way in which our Lord is leading us to do so. And if you find yourself this morning wondering if you have maybe to some extent set aside character, set aside the inheritance that God has given you for gain that is wealth or influence or power or any list of things. The hope of the gospel is that our lives are not, do not begin and end in those things. This is not the end for anyone, even Ahab. Listen to what the text says about Ahab. 
before we are given the picture of his repentance and humbling, look at what the text says. There was none who sold himself to do, right? What have we sold ourselves? What, are, what is for sale in our lives? There is none, no one who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab. Up until that point in Israel's history, the writer of the text is saying there was no one who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab. If you looked up evil in the dictionary, if they had dictionaries back then, Ahab's picture would have been there. There was none who did evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. The promise of the gospel, of the good news, is that even Ahab is worthy of God's mercy and love. Brothers and sisters, the hope that we have is in Jesus. That's the main point of our text, because Jesus didn't sell his inheritance is ours through repentance and faith, right? Ahab sold himself. You and I sell ourselves and the inheritance in Christ that has been given us. We do it every day in little and big ways. And yet Jesus didn't sell his inheritance. And it is ours through repentance and faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the gospel. That like Ahab, through repentance and turning to God in Christ, we are given the inheritance that we did not deserve. Even as we've sold it off, Jesus has bought it back and given it to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who didn't sell his inheritance. He was tempted in every way like us, and yet, Lord, was sinless and calls us to repentance and faith and freely gives all the promises and blessings of your covenant mercy and grace. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to live in the richness and joy of the inheritance that is ours in Christ and all the promises and blessings that you have given to us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.